This morning, I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 4, verse, chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. And then we're going to, then we'll go back and read Mark 8, 34 and 35. Let's get John first. Jesus said unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He say, I say to you, therefore, that not just save it four months, but the, there cometh in harvest. But I say to you, look on the fields, they're white. They're ready to be harvested now. Now let's turn back and read Mark eight thirty four and 35. I apologize for not having it marked because and when he had called the people unto him with the disciples also, he said to them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for his life for the sake of the gospel, the same shall be saved. God bless his word to you, his people. I want to speak to you this morning a few minutes on the subject, loving God and loving the lost. Jesus came to this world to teach us how to be Christians. He spent three years of, on this preaching, trying to train the disciples how to be Christians, how to carry on the gospel. The thing we need to remember this morning, more than anything else, we need to love God and love the lost, and then we'll be following in the footsteps of Jesus. My brothers and sisters, there's anything we need today in our lives we need to learn how, as a church, to pick up the cross and follow Jesus. We need to pick up the cross. He said, if you pick up the cross and follow me, you'll save your life. But if you try to save your life, you'll lose your life. That's a difficult thing to understand. But once we decide we're going to pick up the cross and begin to follow Jesus, then we'll be able to move out in our world and do things for God. The world today is in great fear. In America, there's been red-letter days that have caused us to have great fear. In April the 14th, 1912, when the Titanic went down, they were playing Pistol Pack and Mama or some wild song but when the ship began to sink, they began to pray, Nearer my God to thee. And there were many saved. There's a pastor on the boat with them. He led many to the Lord, Pastor Palmer, and up in Valley Ford country. He drowned himself dying, leading men to Jesus. He gave up his life, picked up the cross, 
that he might win some to Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to study about the Titanic. December the 7th, 1941, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, there was a great and terrible fright come over America. I was a young kid then. I remember going down to Dublin with my dad the next Monday morning by the post office, and they were lined up for three blocks to join the Navy and the Army and the Marines, the Coast Guard, to serve our country. Before that time, nobody wanted to join the Army or the service, but they lined up because they were ready to go after hearing this great, terrible thing in Pearl Harbor. September the 11th, 201, when the terrorists hit the towers in New York and blew them down, I was in Washington, D.C., in the Cannon Building, also business. The Congressman Ethel got up and said, we've got to leave this building orderly and quietly, but we've got to get out. They had got word from the plane in Pennsylvania. They had targeted the Congress building where we were in. Well, of course, I, I was sitting at the door near the front, and I got up, moved to the side, and my grandson, Andrew, was there with me. That's the log in Washington. And he just jumped up and ran out of there like a bullet. And everybody was just running by me, running by me. Well, I was holding on to the rail, you know, because I didn't want to fall down and get trampled. Because these people were having a stampede getting out of that building. i never seen people get out of the building so fast. And the senator said to us, the congressman, now go out slowly and orderly, but just get out. And so he came along and walked beside me. We went down on the street together. And he said, Brother Altman, this is one of the greatest things and tragedy in America since the Civil War. And I believe everything he said was true. Because since that day in America, we've had great fear. America is so afraid today. Everybody is great fear. I wonder why in great times of great fear, people do more drinking than they do praying. I went back that day to my room at Georgetown where I was staying, where my son had gone to law school. And uh, people just sitting around over there, in the, out there in the yard, drinking and drinking and drinking. I went down to the restaurant and got a sandwich and bowed my head and prayed. And the manager came up and said, you must be a minister. I said, matter of fact, I am. He said, why is all these people today in the restaurant here drinking? Nobody's eating anything. Everybody at the bar is full. And I said, they're frightened. They're very frightened. As I went back to the, down to my hotel, I, all the kids from the college were out of school there sitting on the drinking beer and drinking wine and just laughing. Why? They're afraid. America's afraid today. I was in the food line uh, this week on buying some groceries Friday morning. And the lady in front of me had two big bottles of wine, four apples, and four bananas. And I said to her, is that wine good wine? She said, it sure is. I said, do you drink much of that? She said, I sure do. She said, my husband's in Afghanistan. I've got a boy eight years old and a boy five years old, and I can't live without drinking. Now, she had just a little bit of groceries, four bananas, four apples, and two big bottles of wine. And she said, I have to have that wine to drink at night to go to sleep. She said, I'm so nervous. 
And I said, maybe you could pray and God could help you. She said, I don't know. But she went on out and the cashier said to me, you gave her some good counsel. She needs some prayer. Well, listen, my friends, today, the sale of liquor and beer has gone up. The sales of flour and collards have gone down. Why? People are drinking more. It published last year at Christmas time, the sale in December of 2009 went up 13% over the last year. Why? People are drinking. They're afraid. They need, they need prayer. It's the best time in the world for us as Christians to go out here and, and minister to them and love them and see them saved. Jesus met a woman in John 4. She came to the well to draw, draw some water. And she got there and she had her bucket, ready to draw a big bucket of water. She made her living carrying water back into the city, selling it by the cup and by the jar. People didn't have any water. That was her livelihood. And she sat down and Jesus said, would you give me some water? She said, how would you ask water for me, a Samaritan, and you a Jew? And Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you'd ask water for me. You never thirst again. She said, you have nothing to draw with. She said, I know the Messiah is going to come one day. But what's happened? Jesus said, I am he. And she said, sir, give me this water. And the Bible says she left her bucket that way she had to make a living and ran back in the city of refuge in there and got all these people and said, come and see a man that told me everything. He is the Messiah. Come with me. And all these people went out there and started Coming to Jesus, he taught. Many of them received Christ and were saved. Now, this woman could not get to be the WMC president here in this church. She had been married five times. They wouldn't vote her in. They said, well, you come to here and sit on the back row there and let's see how, how well you do and conduct yourself. And after a while, we may let you be a member, but not, not the leader. But that day, she said everything she had down and went back in the city and begin to tell people about Jesus. And my friends, this morning, when you and I find Christ as our personal Savior, and he comes in our heart and we're born again, we're ready to do something for Jesus Christ. Please excuse me. I don't know why my throat gets dry up here. Used to, I never had that problem. I guess I'm getting older. But let's remember, when you get hold of Jesus and you're really born again, your life will be different. I'm not talking about joining the church. I'm talking about being baptized. I'm talking about receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and let him cleanse you and make you a part of the family of God. We're ready to go out and bring people in. She left her bucket and left it. And when we become Christians, we need to put Jesus number one. He's number one with us, not our jobs. We want to win our family to the Lord. Jesus ran into another woman in John 8, a little young girl, probably about 17 or 18 years old. She ran to see Jesus, and there came a bunch of of church people behind her. And they said, this little girl, Jesus, was caught in the very act of adultery, said she needs to be stoned. Moses said, stone her. What do you say? Jesus said, of course, adultery deserves stoning. Everyone, all of us know that. So Jesus is that crowd. They were standing around there, these church leaders. He wrote on the ground. 
Let him without sin cast the first stone. If you have no sin in your life, cast the first stone. And he kept bowed his head. And after a while he looked up, they, and she said to the little young girl, where are your accusers? Where are they? She said, they're gone. I don't have it. He said, neither do I condemn thee. You go and sin no more. Jesus Christ does not condone sin. Jesus Christ forgives sin. We ought to be thankful this morning. He forgives sin. Now, God is not happy with you and with me when we sin, but he's happy when you come and confess it and get forgiveness for it. And John 1, 9 says, all you that have sinned, come and confess your sins. God will forgive you and cleanse you and make you whole. As you, if you never sin, he wants us to come forgiveness. I was called last week by Chaplain Johnson over in Dunn, North Carolina. Many of you probably know Roy, but he's, he said he had a lady that worked for him in the hospital there, worked with him, not for him, but with him, that wanted me to come and do some counseling with her. And when I got over there, she was a very nice lady, about 50 years old, very nice. And she told me a sad story. She said, when I was 19 years old, Chaplain Altman, I had, a, I had a bad mistake in my life. I got pregnant. I had a little baby girl. And she said, all the people in the church told me to get my baby away and get rid of my baby. My mother told me to get rid of my baby. We don't want to bring that baby to the church. And people around here look at the baby. You've got no husband. Get rid of that baby. And said, the Catholic priest in Irvine, North Carolina, he came in to visit me there in the Irvine Hospital. And he said to her, you have a beautiful gift there with God has given you. This is a beautiful child. She's got all of her fingers, all of her toes, eyes. She's a normal, healthy, wonderful, beautiful baby girl, weighs 8.7 ounces. Take the baby home and look after and raise her. And her father came in the room when the chaplain was, when the priest was talking to her, overheard him, and he said to his daughter when, and right while the priest was there, you come on home, darling. We'll take care of you, and we'll take care of the baby, and we'll take care of the church, and I'm proud of you. Her life was saved because this Catholic priest told her to keep her baby, raise her baby, and love, and love the baby. Now the baby is 31 years old. She's a school teacher, a principal, doing excellent, went to Campbell College, got a master's degree, doing wonderful. Wonderful. Why? Because her mother showed love to her. The grandpa showed love to her. They brought her home and raised her and trained her. She went to school and got a college degree. My friends today, we all need to show love to people. And I'm, I'm not condoning girls going out and get pregnant. I don't think that's the right thing to do. And I've told all the girls in this church when I pastored it and other churches I pastored, when you have a Sunday night service, don't go out anywhere and park. Go home. Go home. Don't go out and, uh, behind Shona's and park. Go home because you, uh, you love everybody. You get up in the altar full of the Holy Ghost. People hug everybody. So don't get confused with the love of God for the love of the flesh. Don't get confused. And so I've, I've counseled so many through the years. But I'll tell you something. When daughter, girls had come in to see me that had that experience, I told them, just like the Catholic priest, 
and told the mothers and fathers the same thing. Love the kid. Take care of her. Love her and watch over her. Help her. Help over this situation. And my friends, today we need to learn how to love people in their failures. Not any of us in this church today hasn't failed at one time or another. Not anybody in this church hasn't sinned at one time or another. So we need to learn how to love the lost. If you love God and live full of the Holy Ghost, you'll love the lost. You'll love those that have failed and faltered and stumbled. I had a, a lady in my floor when I was chaplain at Chapel Hospital in 1984 and 5. After I left this church, I worked at a hospital a year and a half in Chapel Hill. And this little girl had, at 17 years old, had had an abortion. And we had a girl come into the room that before that night where I was working. And she had a terrible experience. She'd had an abortion. She died. And this little nurse would just went the berserk. She went to crying and screaming. And we put her, put her in the bed. And the next day they put her in the south wing. And I went over and I was on a Wednesday night. I canceled with her Thursday and Friday. And Saturday she was feeling much better. I told her Jesus Christ could go back with her in time and make her a virgin. Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the only one that can go back in time with you. And she was doing good. I went back to see her Monday morning. She's sitting in the corner of the room with a blanket like a, a little beat kid or a dog. I said, what's, what's going wrong with you? And she told me the sad story. She said, yesterday my mother's pastor came in to see me. And told me I was a common and dirty woman. Said I was bringing reproach to my mother and my father. And I was a common person. A dirty person. And I said, you're not a dirty person. You're not a common person. You made a mistake when you were 17 years old. God has forgiven you. He's cleansed you. Get up out of this. Get back in the bed. Let's get going. And I prayed with her in counsel with her four or five times. And she was back working in about a week at the head of the, head of the floor. She had a master's degree in nursing. Now, this preacher, I went down to the, to the main office in the hospital and met Mr. Gunson and met with Nett Baker and told him this experience with this preacher. And I said, put him off limits. Never let him go in the south wing again. So they wrote him a letter and said, Pastor, you come to the hospital and visit your members here, but you can never go in the south wing. You do know how, not how to treat emotionally sick people, so you never can go in there again. He called me, he said, upset. I don't know why you want to do that. And I said, my friend, I'll tell you why I want to do that. Because you ruin the personality of a wonderful, beautiful nurse. Because of your self-righteousness and your conviction. And I got the gun every time. And this girl had not dated since she was 17 years old. She's 27 now. And I told her, I said, you go back and some nice man is going to come along and want to date you. And, you know, she got married to a, a school teacher. And they have two kids today grown. That was in 1984, many years, 24, uh, many, uh, 26 years ago. Now she's a middle-aged lady. But, but every time I go to the hospital since that time, she's still working. She'll meet me and grab me and hug me. And the doctor says, why does this girl like you so much, Chaplain Altman. But I don't know. I said, you know, people just like me, you know. <laughs> I don't know why. But I do know why. Because I reached down and got her when she was in a, in, in a ditch, like the, beaten and bruised. She was beating and bruised. 
Jesus told a story about a Samaritan. The young lawyer came to him and said, what I need to be saved. He said, go and do good to your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Luke 10, 28, he said, this story is recorded. And he said, there's a beaten, bruised man down in the ditch. His story, beaten and bruised and dying. The good Samaritan came along and gave him a glass of wine to stimulate him, put some oil on his wounds and worked with him and carried him to the inn. And he said, I'll take care of his bill for him. And my friends, if you win souls to God, sometimes you'll have to spend some money on a person. Sometimes you'll have to help them. Many times in this church, years I've pastored here, people come in all kinds of problems. And I always prayed with them and counseled with them and then took them down to Haymont Grill and had, had lunch with them. I want them to know I love them. I don't mind to be with them in the, in the public. Most of them were drunks and all kinds of trouble. But listen, my friends, these drunks are good people. They just got drunk. But they'll get sober if you love them and pray for them enough, and they'll quit drinking. They'll quit drinking. We need to have compassion on these fellows. And Jesus said to the man, who's your neighbor? Well, he said, well, young man, the lawyer said, I guess the fellow that they gave him the wine took him and paid his bill. Well, my friend, sometimes you have to put yourself out. To win souls, you must you put yourself out. And God will, God will reward you for it, and God will take care of you. In 1990, I was doing consulting work up in Waynesville, North Carolina, for my son's radio station, Cats Radio. He had two stations. and he, I went over and worked like November and December for him. And on about the de- December the, the 19th, I run into a man, Mr. Womble. He came in the store there where we were at the cafe, and he said to me, I, I'd love to have a cup of coffee there. Sir, he didn't know me, Madam Soundscat. And I said to give him some coffee. He said, I'd like to have a bun. Give him a bun. And I, I think it was about altogether about a dollar and a quarter. I met him in the next day, and he said the same thing. And the little waitress said to me, Mr. Altman, you're wasting your time and your money on this bum. And I said, who was he before he became a bum? Tell me about it. She said, well, he used to own a big warehouse up here, a nice warehouse, rented out some rental property around town. But said his wife died. He said he, since his wife died, he said he's just been drinking and lost all of his property. And now he's, he's a janitor up there now part-time. He has no money. I said, isn't that something? So the next morning he met me at the same time, about 7 o'clock, same time as the rest of these, he's walking up to work. You go to work at 8, 8.30 or 9. And, and I met him. And I said to him, Mr. Womble, what would you like to have today for breakfast? You could have anything you wanted. Anything. He said, I'd like two eggs over light. I'd want some country ham. I'd like some hash browns. I'd want a couple of biscuits. I'd want some butter and some honey and a glass of orange juice and a cup of hot coffee. I said to the waitress, give us two of those except Give me apple juice. We sat there and ate together. Talked about an hour, hour and a half. I have to go up through eating his breakfast. I said, Mr. Womble, tell me about your life. What's happened to you? And he started crying. He said, well, Mr. Altman, he said, I've married this woman 30, about 35 years. 
and said she came down with cancer of the lung, and the cancer spread all over her body. And he said she had a beautiful, absolutely beautiful 135-pound body, beautiful blonde hair, just a gorgeous woman. She lost all of her hair with chemo, had to wear a cap around, no hair. And said she dried up and came down to weigh 80 pounds when she died. And all the time he was telling me this, he was crying. And he said, everything I, the bank sold everything I had, but my lawyer was a good Christian lawyer. And he asked the bank to please let me have a little old block house over there. One bedroom, one sitting room, kitchen, breakfast room. About 600 square feet, about three blocks from here. It's a block building. Well, the heater I keep in the front, a wood heater, very humble place. My lawyer got him to let me keep that. They gave me that. They took everything else I had but that one little block house. They gave me that. And I said, Mr. Wumble, I'm so sorry. He said, you know what hurts me so bad? He said, I've only seen the preacher twice since Martha died. Twice, once at the funeral and once after the funeral. Never comes about me. I never see the church folks. Said, I used to be a deacon down there. I've given a lot of money to the church, but I have no money now. Nobody cares about me. I said, Mr. Wumble, you go over here to the Assembly of God Church in Waynesville. You know where that's at. Oh, yeah, I know where that's at. I'm going to call that preacher. Here's my card. I gave him my card. You go see that pastor. I'm going to call him tell him you're going to come. He'll love you. They'll visit you. They'll take you into their church family, and you'll feel like somebody. You don't need to be a nobody. You need to be a somebody, and somebody loves you. And he cried, and I took his hand and prayed for him. I've never seen him since. That was on my birthday, December 21st. And my friends today, there are many people in this city, in this county, and around Hope Mills and Lumberton, all around here, that are beaten and bruised. Life has bruised them. Life has beat them. They're tired. And they're weary. They just need somebody to come along and get them. And pick them up. And bring them back to society. Many years ago, I had a friend that fell off the wagon. A free will Baptist preacher. And his church turned him down flat turkey. Took his car, he had a Buick car, they bought him a new car, and it treated him so wonderful as long as he was doing good. I mean, he fell, fell into trouble. Didn't do anything much wrong, but just looked seemed to look wrong. And they t- fired him from the church. And he went out in the country, left his wife, and went out in the country, got a little house out the James Mashing Gill out of Benson. Terrible little shack with a wood heater in it. And his daughter called me from Lenore, Mary Lee, was a friend of mine and a friend of my sister. She called me and said, told me about her dad's experience and said, would you help me? I said, I will. So I got in my car and I drove, I was living here in Fayetteville then. I drove up there in this place. She told me where it was at and drove out there about nine o'clock in the morning. And he was sitting in there by that little warm heat. It was a cold, cold December morning. Cold. He hadn't shaved in about four weeks. He looked terrible. I don't know, ragged overalls. And I said, Brother Caps, I've come out here to visit you and to get you. And he started telling me. I said, Brother Caps, I don't want to know anything about the lady gave you some peas 
and hug you at the church. I don't want to think about that. What I have come out here to do is take you home to your wife and meet with your son. And we're going to have a seat. I'm not going to go. I said, now, Brother Camps, I weigh 190 pounds. I am 37 years old. You weigh 150 pounds. You're 64 years old. I'm going to take you back to Benson. Now, you can get in my car and go, go freely. I'm going to knock you out and throw you in the car and take you. I'm going to take you back. And I said, I'm strong. And I took his hand and gripped his hand, almost broke it. Oh, he said, you're hurting my hand, Brother Altman. I said, I'm, I'm going to take you back now. Come on, get in the car. Went back to the house and got his wife and his boys in the Air Force. He'd been drinking liquor around Benson, embarrassing his dad. And I had a three-hour session with he and his wife and his son. And I said, now, won't you, let's pray together and forgive one another, forgive yourself, and get back together. And that night at 10 o'clock, he got in his car and drove the old Chevrolet they had and drove up to Lenore. His wife, daughter called me at 10 o'clock and said, Brother Altman said, you wouldn't believe it. So I said, I would. Whatever you tell me, you won't tell the story. She said, Dad and Mother up here in my house, we had supper together, in the bed together. They're back together. Well, I said, praise God. You know, all it did, my friends, I loved him. I cared for him. He was lost. He needed to be brought back to his family. They both died a few years later, happy, lived together till they died. Listen, I'm going to tell you that story because I'm anything great, because I am not. But I do know I love souls and love people where they, wherever they are. And I encourage you this morning as Christians, love God and love the lost. God wants you this morning to be a soul winner. Men and women are lost all around us. They're hurting. They're suffering. They need to be like Mr. Wumble. They need to. He had a terrible experience. He cried all the way all through his story. He was so hurt. And none of the church folks mess with him anymore because he was a drunk. That's when he needed help from the church. Not when he was a deacon going every Sunday dressed up, driving his nice Buick to church, putting in a bunch of money. Not when he was on the building committee. He didn't need a lot of help then. He needs help now. And my friends this morning, I want to say to you, love God and love people. And let's begin to get, get to going with God and let God use us in any way he can. He wants to use us. My Sunday school teacher prayed for me for 12 years. I was in her class when I was 12 or 13 years old. Got out of church. September 26, 1950, I went to her. They lived on my dad's farm. Went over there at 9.30 in the morning. The sun was high. They were digging potatoes. It's a busy day on the farm. And I heard some noises from the house, groaning, crying. So I walked over the side to put my head up against the side of this little frame house. And this Ms. Weeks was in there a lot. He was in there praying and crying. I listened to her pray. I was calling my dad. Let's listen to her pray about 15 minutes. She called out my name about five times, my daddy's name, my brother, all the country. And I left her praying. I went back at 12 o'clock and saw her. And she said, we have revival, Gardner. Would you go into the revival? I said, I'll go tonight. She said, are you kidding me? I said, no, ma'am. I'll meet you there tonight at 7 o'clock. See, I got... When I heard her praying and crying, she's praying in the spirit, praying in the language, and I never heard praying at 9.30 in the morning. 
Well, I want to tell you, folks, I went back to my office, and I could not do one thing in the world. I didn't get a thing done from the rest of the day to lunch. I sat down and tried to think about something, and all I could hear was that woman praying and crying in my spirit. So I went back and saw her. I didn't get saved Tuesday night. Well, back Thursday night, my wife went with my dad that night and found Jesus at 9 o'clock, September 28th. I was converted. I looked at my watch. And this preacher I just told you about before, I went and got in that cabin, was there praying with me when I was converted. He prayed with me. The night I was converted. Wonderful man. So my friends, God uses people. I preached Mrs. Weeks' funeral in 1999 when I was teaching at the college. She was a soul winner. She prayed for me 12 years. And finally, when I heard her, when I heard her praying, it got to me. And I'm saying to you this morning, my friends, let's love God. Let's love souls. Let's don't let the devil win these, carry these people to hell with them. Paul said, I know nothing, determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Corinthians 2, 2. In Galatians 6, 14, he said, I, God forbid that I glory in anything other than Jesus in the cross. And God forbid all of us that we glory in anything other than the cross. That we share with people that are lost and undone. What do we need this morning? We need compassion. The world needs compassion. The church needs more compassion. For the lost and suffering. And once we can do get a handle on that compassion. And once we can get our lives straightened out with God. And we can be sincere with God. We need to be sincere. Not folly. When I got born again my friends. I quit working on a Sunday. That was the best day in our business. We started tithing all the money we made with our company. I tithed my dad's money. My brother's money. They weren't even saved. And I said if you don't, if you don't tithe I won't work with you anymore. We stopped Sunday and started tithing my dad's money, my brother's money. Then I got saved, started tithing. My wife said, we can't afford to tithe and keep these. We had two new cars, a Chrysler Highlander and a sedan. I said, I'll take my car and sell it, and I'll buy me an old Plymouth. And I did. And I told her, I said, Velma, honey, the first time in my life, I've never known peace before in my life. I knew love. I knew lots of things I had happiness, but to have peace of mind. I never had peace in my life. I'm going to tell you, folks, until I met Jesus. He gave me peace, real peace. And I told my wife, I wouldn't swap this peace I got at the altar of the night when Brother Caps was praying for me. I wouldn't give this stuff for all the crosses in the world. I'll sell the thing. I did. God changed me completely. And my friends, he gave me compassion for souls. Compassion for souls. I never knew I'd be called in the ministry. But I want to tell you this morning, let's be sincere with God. Let's surrender to God. Let's be willing to suffer with God. Sometimes you may have to suffer. And then when you do that, my friends... You can sail with God. Hallelujah. I'm looking for Jesus Christ to come back for the church. And I want to tell you, my friends, this morning, I want to sail with him. My wife wrote me a little epistle before she died. She said, Gardner, don't you ever, ever withhold anything from God. She said, 
You have no reserve with God. Get back and do the preaching and praying and teaching and counseling and do the thing that God has trained you to do and I spent money educating you to do. Said, I've sacrificed a lot for you and I want you to promise me that, that you'll get back to doing that. Don't reserve. Don't ever plan to retreat. Don't ever plan. Somebody said, when are you going to retire, Pastor Altman? I'm going to die praying or preaching or counseling or doing something for God. Hallelujah. I don't plan to ever retire. I'm going to be hooked up with Jesus. And when he blows the trump, I'm going to sail with him. My friends, this morning, if Christ would come in the next five minutes, I wish all of us could just sail with him. My wife said, you meet me in the air. Meet me in the air. Don't, don't, ever, don't ever slow up, she said. I've spent a lot of money educating you, sending you to school, sacrificing for you. And she did. And you use that for God as long as you live. That was about a month before she died. She said, I'd like to get well. She wrote me an epistle. And she wrote that in it and said, no, don't reserve anything for yourself. Don't ever retreat. You'll have no regrets. It's in print. And I say the same to you this morning as a brother in the Lord. Let's sail with God. Let's, let's do all the things we need to do. So if God blows the trump, you don't have to worry. You can sail away in the rapture. Hallelujah. He's going to come, folks. He's coming back. I don't know when it's going to be. But I want to tell you, I want to see all of you in the air. I want to meet my wife in the air. They're going to, she gets a heavenly body. I want to meet her and I want to meet you. All we have to do is accept Jesus as our personal Savior. Love God and love the lost and love yourself. God made you into something good. Love yourself. Don't let the devil rob you of what Jesus paid for at the cross for you. Don't let him rob you of that. Give it all to him. Sacrifice for him. Love the pastors of this church. Love, love the church. Love us. Love God. And love the lost. Love yourself. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. Meet him today on this Memorial Day. If you're here today and you have a burden that you can't handle, don't keep carrying your burdens alone. Someone asked me, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Why? Because I put all of my burdens on Jesus. Someone said, you believe in speaking in tongues? Oh, Lord, I do. Hallelujah. I can say with Paul, I speak in tongues more than you all. My son and I were talking to them about it. I said, Gardner, I'm sitting here tonight praising and worshiping God. And all of a sudden, I kick into the spirit. And I just sit here in my chair and praise God. I think I may be raptured, so right out of here. <laughs> right by myself. Someone says, you're lonely. No, I'm not lonely. I have Jesus with me. I have the Holy Ghost with me. Do I miss family? Yes. I go down the hall and speak to her every night. Let me tell you, I'm looking to go in the air. Not because I'm perfect. I'm not. But because Jesus is perfect. If you're waiting around to meet perfect people, you won't see very many of them. You'll wait all your life. If you're waiting around, you get perfect doing the thing for God, you'll be waiting all your life. Because the devil's going to see to it you're not perfect. And if the devil don't do it, your flesh will. But Jesus healed us of our imperfection. And he says, come unto me. All you have in laden, he said, come to me. Let's stand together, please. Will the musician come back and play the piano? A little something for us. 
something sweet and nice and soft. Like I surrender all or something. My friends, Jesus is here with us this morning. You don't see him. He's standing beside me. And I'm inviting you to come. Come this morning on this Memorial Day. I wish we could make it 100% everybody in the church would come and rededicate our lives to God. I was praying this morning at 2 o'clock in the morning about this message about you today. And I said, God, help us to surrender to you. Help me to surrender to you. A new, a new dedication. A new dedication. Is anyone here about your hands a moment, please? Anyone here this morning that needs Jesus as your Savior? If you are, lift your hand, please. This is a great day. A great day. Anybody here this morning that need, need God to help them with any problem, anything that you can't solve, handle yourself? The burden is heavy. You don't want to do with it. You come and let Jesus help you. I would pray this morning we would come, all of us around the altar before we leave, 100%, and rededicate ourselves to God and say, God, from now on, I'm going to do my best every day to love the lost and love you. Would you please come and join me at the altar? Don't wait. Don't wait. Let's come. Come on, brothers and sisters. Come on. Let's come and pray and say, God, I want to, I want to join with you. I don't want to be dragging along behind. I want to join with you. Come on, stand up close to the altar. We're going to fill the altar. Come up close to the altar. We're going to pray a prayer of dedication for all of us. I want to rededicate my life to God as I was working on this sermon this morning and this week. God help me to rededicate myself.